The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 9, of Free Will, Paragraph 3. Man, by his fall into a state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able, by his own strength, to convert himself or to prepare himself there on two. Welcome back to This We Confess, and today we get into paragraph 3 of chapter 9 of the Westminster Confession. In the last episode, we heard how in the beginning, and to this very day, God has given the will of man a natural liberty, in which we are neither forced, nor by any absolute necessity of nature, determined to good or evil. In other words, as we heard last time out, we are not robots, The moon's position in the sky does not force us to do evil acts. We are not forced. We're not forced into good or evil, nor does any absolute necessity of nature determine it. However, in the beginning, but not today, let me stress that, not today, man in his state of innocency had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God, but yet mutably so that he might fall from it. Man had this ability in the beginning to please God spiritually. Man had the ability not to sin in the beginning. This was mutable. This was changeable so that he might fall from it and fall from it he did. Today, as we read paragraph three, we see the significant change to the will of man that occurred after the fall. Today, we are decidedly different from Adam, the first man. Paragraph 3 begins by saying that man, by his fall into a state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. Here is what we have spoken of already. Here is what we have lost at the fall, the ability to do any spiritual good that accompanies salvation. Let's realise for a second what this paragraph doesn't say. It doesn't say that humanity today isn't able to do good things. If you watch the news today, you will hear news about human beings doing amazing, wonderful acts all throughout this world. Humanity hasn't lost the ability to do good things. And it doesn't say that only Christians can be loving or kind. As we will see next week, Christians are not perfect, and Christians like anyone else can be men and women who do evil acts. And it doesn't say that even the most wicked of us are utterly wicked and can never do good things. I've read recently 
that even someone like Adolf Hitler loved his mother and was devastated at her death. Even the most wicked man can on occasion act in a loving and kind manner. What this paragraph speaks of here is that we have lost the ability not to sin. We are born in sin. We are sinners from the moment of conception in our mother's womb. We have lost Adam and Eve's ability that they lost too after the fall, not to sin. Humanity today, of course, is not as bad as it could be. We thank God's grace for that. But humanity having lost the ability not to sin and being dead in sin is utterly unable to help themselves spiritually before a holy God. Man, by his fall into a state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good that accompanies salvation. As always, we confess these things, not because the Westminster Divines tell us, but because this is the plain teaching of Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, in verses 7 to 8, God's Word says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We see here our inability to please God spiritually. If we are dead in sin, if we are still in the flesh, then we cannot please God. It is true that your next door neighbour is the most loving and kind neighbour anyone could ever possibly ask for. He buys all your children Christmas presents. He helps your elderly granny across the road and takes her to her doctor's appointments. But he is an individual who hates Christ. He may not verbalise it in such a way, he may not even know it. But if he does not know Christ as his saviour, then he is still in the flesh, he is dead in sins. And this wonderful neighbour that you enjoy living beside cannot please God. He has absolutely no ability not to sin and no ability to do any spiritual good that accompanies salvation. What your wonderful neighbour needs is a work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Jesus says in John chapter 6 and verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That individual who you know who is dead in sin needs to be drawn to Jesus. He cannot do it himself. Verse 65 and John 6 continues, Jesus said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Again, the scriptures teach us of our inability to please God spiritually, our inability to will any spiritual good. We cannot wake up on a Monday morning and decide today is the day that I am going to please God and then work our little socks off the rest of the week. If we are to move from death to life and from the flesh to a life in the spirit, then the Father must draw us. The Father must grant us this access and this gift. Jesus tells us this extraordinary transformation in John 15 and 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If we are to please God spiritually, we must be in Christ, not in the flesh. We have lost that ability to do anything good spiritually that accompanies our salvation. And Paul puts it this way in Romans 5 and verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly, and when? 
while we were still weak. This phrase, while we were still weak, sums up our pitiful condition outside of Christ. We are weak and we are unable. After the fall, we have lost the ability to do any spiritual good that accompanies salvation. We have lost the ability not to sin, and there is not a single thing that we can do about it, left to our own devices. But thankfully, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paragraph 3 continues by underlining these truths. The next sentence states that a natural man is altogether averse from that good. We see this in Romans 3, don't we, when Paul writes in verse 9, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And in verse 12, Paul continues, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And in his famous statement in verse 23, he tells us, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, the Westminster Divines hit the nail on the head as they show us, as a mirror shows our reflection, what we are actually like. Often today we believe that we're actually not that bad. We hear preachers telling us that we need Jesus, but a voice from within tells us, no, you don't really. I'm okay, I'm fine, and there must be a God up there somewhere who sees how good I am and who sees my acts and my works and therefore will receive me as one of his own. But that is simply not true. It is not true according to our confession and it is not true biblically. The biblical picture of the individual outside Christ is that none is righteous, no, not one. The biblical picture is that every one of us have turned aside and become worthless, and every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Another way of describing our condition is that we are dead in sin, and that's how this paragraph continues. Again, this is the plain teaching of Scripture. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And in Colossians 2 and verse 13, Paul says, Again, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But thankfully, both of these passages give us another reason to hope. Because even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, says Paul in Ephesians 2 and verse 5, God has made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And this is a wonderfully important note. If we are despairing today at our inability not to sin and our inability to do any spiritual good to accompany salvation, then we know and can run to Jesus and depend on his saving grace. It is by grace, not our imperfect works, that we have been saved. Paul repeats this in Colossians 2 and 13. He tells us that we're dead in their trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, But God made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Certainly today there is bad news that we have lost the ability to do any spiritual good before a holy and righteous God. But the good news tells us that it is by grace we have been saved. And today all who once were dead in sin through faith in Christ are made alive together with Christ. The bad news is countered by the good and it is wonderfully sweet 
and wonderfully good indeed. But, as this paragraph comes to a close, it does so with a reminder that the natural man is not able, by his own strength, to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. Again, the reminder that we do not have the strength to convert ourselves or to do any spiritual good before a holy God. We are, as we've already heard, in weakness in our natural condition, not in strength. So the natural man is not able by his own strength to convert himself. He cannot bring himself to saving faith in Christ. He cannot change his mind, once an enemy of Christ, now to be a friend of Christ. He cannot do it. He does not have the strength in his natural condition in Adam to come to believe in Christ. The natural man is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. He cannot do any work that will warm his soul to Christ. He cannot do anything that is going to improve his position before a holy God. He needs something from outside of himself to convert him to Jesus. These verses have already been stated in this podcast, but the word of God could be repeated from now until eternity, and it would never get old. John 6 and verse 44 shows us what the natural man needs and where it comes from, not within, but without. Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And in verse 65, Jesus says, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Jesus is clear. The natural man does not have the strength to convert himself or to prepare himself unto salvation. He must be drawn from outside. The Father draws that individual to Jesus, and that individual, after trusting Christ, will be raised up on the last day. No one, says Jesus, can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. It is this that the Lord spoke about in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In verse 3, Jesus answers Nicodemus and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus and anyone outside of Christ must be born again. They need the Holy Spirit to come and to do a work in their lives to cause them to be born again. And once they have been born again, they are equipped and enabled to call upon Jesus. Jesus says in verse 5 of John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Everyone who is born by natural means, born of water, also needs to be born again by the Spirit. And unless we have been born again by the Spirit, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here is our answer to anyone who believes that they will enter the kingdom by being born just of the flesh and living some sort of self-righteous life. No, we must be born again. It is the teaching of this paragraph and it is the teaching of Scripture. For Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
Therefore, in response to this passage, the natural person must be born again. They must have the Spirit of God doing this work to enable them to see the work of the Spirit. These things of God are not discerned by the flesh, but they are discerned spiritually. There is a dramatic change that is required in our friends and family and neighbours and those outside of Christ. Our call to them is not to be good, not to try to be better, not to do more charitable works. All of these things would make our communities better, for sure. But spiritually speaking, none of these things will help their standing with Christ. They must be born again. And to us all, Paul writes in Titus chapter 3 and verses 3 to 5, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. This is the natural condition of every single one of us. But thankfully, Jesus came. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit has done a work in the hearts and lives of millions of people across this globe. And so Paul writes in verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Here is what has happened to those of us in Christ, and here is what is an absolute necessity for everyone that is still outside Jesus. We must be born again. We must be saved. We must not depend on our works, even if we do them when we are in Christ. No, We are saved according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit. We need God's grace. We need his mercy. We must be born again. Today, as we read a paragraph like this one in the Westminster Confession, I hope that it causes us to run to prayer rather than despair. If anyone is to come to know Christ as their Saviour, it is a work of the Holy Spirit. We must be faithful in our proclamation of the gospel. We must take every opportunity to point individuals to Christ. But if they do not come to Jesus, it is not your fault. If they do not come to Jesus, it is because they are still hardened towards the gospel and still in their trespasses and sins. Therefore, in evangelism, we must pray and pray again and call upon the Lord, who is the only one to turn hard hearts soft. And also, as we respond to this today, my friends, we must run to Jesus, and not to despair. The Lord has told us in his word that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Lord's words should give us confidence in our evangelism. The gospel will be preached fully and abroad throughout this world. And every single individual who will be raised up on the last day will be drawn to Jesus. Not a single one who the Father has given the Son will be lost. The Word tells us this. We can be confident in this. And therefore, as we evangelize and see many coming to Jesus... And as we evangelize and see many others remaining in their sins, our own permanent address is not frustration and despair, 
but Christ. This is a difficult paragraph, but one that I hope today encourages us as well to stand and to plant our feet and to say, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. As always, in closing, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. How is humanity different today from Adam when he was in his state of innocence? Question 2. Is it true that in the world today, only Christians will act in a kind or a good way? Question 3. Is humanity as bad as it could be? Support your answer. Question 4. Why is it impossible for someone who rejects Christ to be saved, even if they live a really good life? That's all for today. My name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess. 